0: hey, John, would you give us some ambiance here? Let's kill the fluorescence and then tune down the chandeliers, please. That's good. That's good. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. You might want to hit the sides, too, a little bit. Very good. Well, again, thank you so much for coming tonight. And I was sitting on the front row just now and got somber. And uh, it happened something like this. I was thinking about singing this song Born This Happy Day and then I thought about what I said this morning that I'm going to use tonight remember I told you there was something I was going to use tonight that Christmas isn't complete without the cross and how for us we have this wonderful celebration called Christmas of Jesus coming but then I remember why he came he came to die in fact, I, I was I was just sort of taking a journey in my mind. I'm going, it was just two years after his birth that someone was trying to kill him. Herod. And he had to flee to Egypt. And he lived there as a refugee. We're not really sure how long. And he came back and then was raised in a real poor family. He he just never had anything really of this world. And then when he was 30 years old, he begins this public ministry that I tried to... I almost asked you to get the, her phone out for the calculator. But I think from like 30 to 33 is like 1200 some days. I'm just 369 plus 65 three times. So probably about, about 1,100 days. 1,100 days of ministry um, before he died. And uh, that's psalm I'm written. And in the midst of our celebration... I really think we need to remember that, that Christmas is not complete without the cross. And we're grateful that he came. But for Mary, it was not going to be a happy day in the sense of the long view. And for Joseph, it wasn't necessarily a happy day in, in the long view. And in the midst of our celebration, I think we need to remember what Christ has done for us. Amen? Does that make sense? This this song that it's so funny. I, I had this idea last year. I already told you this, but I'll tell you again. I had this idea about maybe for a couple, three years, maybe four years. Every Christmas, we'll pick a carol and build a series out of it, you know, and call it the Song of Christmas. And last year was "Do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear?" And this year was the um, "We Three Kings." And I told David, I said, David, I said, this really has some good theology in it. And I taught you last week how that we're pretty certain the three kings, uh, three wise men, came, if there were three, came later. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious in Scripture. They were just not there on the night Jesus was born and probably a couple of years later. And I haven't shared with you yet. But again, it's, it's the whole song is written after the birth of Jesus. The, the dude who wrote it is an American. And uh, I just looked it up. He lived from 1820 to 1891. So this song is quite old. And it's the first Christmas. In fact, yeah, it's the first truly American Christmas carol. Both the words, well, two things. Both the words and the melody was written by an American and written by the same guy. And what normally happens in music is someone will write a melody and somebody will write words and somebody puts them together. Well, in this case, this guy who was an American wrote um, the words and the melody together and married them uh, intentionally. And I'm sure he knew it, but I'm not sure we recognize it. Like, for instance, did you know Joy to the World is not a Christmas song? No, it's talking about the millennium. It's talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. You know, and I'm wondering if this guy understood and do we understand how this is really an after Christmas song. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. Now that i got you all somber, okay? But hey, for the Lord's Supper, that's probably a good idea. So if you want to take your Bible, let me read the verse to you first. This is verse 4 of We Three Kings. Myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume. Breeze of life of gathering gloom. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying sealed in the stone cold tomb. And that's verse 4 of We Three Kings a Christmas carol. Christmas is not complete without the cross. So I want you to take your Bibles tonight and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to look a little bit again after the birth of Jesus and see what what happens. Unfortunately Luke, who by the way is a gentile, Um, gives us some really good insight to what happens in this young family's life and what happened really in any Jewish family um, after a male child was born. In Luke chapter 2, well, really let me start in verse number 21, which I don't have open here. But in verse 21, it talks about um, the fact that on the eighth day, and this was required by Jewish law, on the eighth day, a couple things happened. Um, A male child was circumcised, and he was named. And this would have taken place um, in Bethlehem. Okay, this would not have been done in Jerusalem. Um, I'll mention in a minute, but Jerusalem is about seven miles away from Bethlehem. But this would have been done by a local priest in a synagogue. A synagogue would be like our local church. And they would have taken Jesus, and they would have circumcised him, and gave him a name. So the first thing I want you to see is, is that it's important that Jesus was circumcised. Because what we're going to see in Luke's gospel is that he continually makes clear that Jesus fulfilled the facets of the law. Um, That's very important, especially coming from a Gentile. And on that day, on that eighth day, he was named Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, that precious, precious name. And then, after that, they now take a journey of seven miles. Now, if my math is right... Um, it's about seven miles to El Dorado. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So they're going to get, at, in a best case scenario, they're going to get on a donkey for Mary and the baby. Worst case scenario is they don't have a donkey and they're going to walk. But Joseph, regardless, is either going to lead an animal or they're all going to walk seven miles. And the baby is how old? Eight days. Eight days old. Uh, maybe nine. Maybe nine. Just there's not much. But I'm sorry, that's not true. That's not true. The baby's going to be about about a month old. Because what's going to happen is the law requires that 30 days after circumcision that they have present the child to the Lord. And that's about 38 days. And the 40th day, Mary has to present herself for purification from the childbirth. Okay? So the baby's about a month and 10 days old. Okay? And they take this journey. All right, that starts verse number 22. So when the time came for her purification, again, about 38 to 40 days, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And again, that was required 30 days after his circumcision. So they are there to fulfill the law, okay, and to offer a sacrifice. And they make this seven-mile journey, either, again, walking or her on the back of a donkey. And then verse 23, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And the word holy there means he's set apart. Now this is true of every firstborn male. All right? And it goes on and says in verse 24, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Again, Luke makes that emphasis. The law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. Now... The normal sacrifice would have been a lamb. But when you did not have money, and we are certain that Mary and Joseph were very poor at this time, because again, well, they're always poor, but they're very poor, because remember, the wise men haven't showed up yet with their gifts. So Joseph is scraping together a living, trying to make money as a carpenter to take care of his family. So they give the poor family's offering that God made a provision for, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. That's one to redeem the firstborn from the womb, and secondly, it's Mary's purification offering from from the childbirth process. Okay, so that's what's taking place. Now, here's a story that we know, but we don't hear often. We don't hear spoken of very often. Look at verse number twenty-five. Now, there was a man, and I love this because notice there's no title. Notice there's not. Uh, Deacon Jones, preacher so-and-so, priest so-and-so, doctor so-and-so, none of that is here. It just simply says, a certain man. And I think that's really encouraging because you just don't understand the importance of lay people to the kingdom of God and to the body of Christ. It's hugely important. In the day we live in where we have professional pastors and staff members and those kind of things, we lose the value of the layperson. If you're here today and you're a like I said, like I prayed in my prayer, if you're a volunteer and you serve the Lord and, and build the kingdom, God bless you because you're a very, very special person just like the guy we're going to talk about tonight. It says, now there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Simeon and Simeon is very old and we're going to hear but three or four things about him that are very important and this man first off was righteous in other words he lived right he was the definite one of the definitions of righteousness is right living is right living so Simeon an ordinary Jew devoted his life to right living to keeping the word of god that was one of his trademarks one of his birthmarks was that he was an obedient Jew. But secondly, it says this: he was devout. He was devoted to God. He was devoted to God. That is, that God was the center of his universe. Now some of us who are a little bit older, and some of you who are older than me, remember a time when when it seemed like in America the community revolved around the church. Does anybody remember that? Yeah? Well, that certainly was true in Simeon's life. It's just the way it was. That that he was a devoted person, that his world revolved not just around the temple or not around the synagogue, but around God himself. He was devoted, and here's, here's cool. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he's waiting for the Messiah to come, and he's waiting patiently. He's waiting patiently. Isn't it true there's one thing to say that a person is waiting, and it's another thing to be waiting patiently? You know, isn't, isn't it true that, in fact, I'll just give you a little illustration. I was watching White Christmas last night, uh, shedding a few tears, you know, and, and uh, they had a commentary by, by Rosemary Clooney afterwards, and she was one of the sisters in, in White Christmas. And she was saying how that Irving Berlin, even though he would heard Bing Crosby sing White Christmas so many times, when it was the final time, Irving Berlin was just simply doing this, just pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. And so finally, crossed, Crosby went to him and said, Look, Irving, calm down. There's nothing we can do to mess up this song. Because even by then, it was a, just a, a world-famous song. It was in 1954. It was a world-famous song. Calm down, Irving. And sometimes we need to hear that. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is learn to wait patiently. That's a good place for an amen especially in this holiday season, we can learn to wait patiently on God. Well, he was waiting for the Messiah. He's waiting for the constellation of Israel. And, and, and here's the important part. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, this is for the birth of the church. So there was not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's still in the Old Testament since that, like the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and was withdrawn. It came upon David and was not withdrawn. So in Simeon's case, the Holy Spirit was upon him. So what, what are four key things there? He was a right living Jew. He was devoted to God. He was waiting patiently, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So that was Simeon's world. And may I say this? What an example. What an example for believers today to be like Simeon. You know, it's so funny. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph, do we? We don't even know when he died. We know he died before the crucifixion, but we don't know. But Joseph was such an incredible man. And here again, here's a man we don't know a whole lot about, And yet the things we know upon him really causes us, or should cause us, to say, I want to be like Simeon. Well, anyway, verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that was upon him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, Simeon, you are not going to die until you see the Messiah. That's quite a promise, and one that God made to him. Well... Verse 27, he came in the temple, he came in the spirit into the temple. Um, another translation says this, he came to the temple guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to get this because it still happens today. I am one believer in divine appointments. I just honestly believe in divine appointments. I'm pretty certain my brother Loy had one. He was a, he was a last minute addition to our team and so he was able to go and so the last minute he was able to get on the bus and go and uh... he kept saying i'm not sure why i'm here i'm not sure why i'm here and so finally about an hour from the hotel we were in northern atlanta um, i think someone had to go to the bathroom pretty bad and so we got off the interstate you know and it's not a good time because traffic's crazy you know and by the way bus is the most, the most incredible bus driver there is and he just patiently wove through the traffic, and we ended up at a McDonald's. And we're sitting there, and we're all standing around. Some went to the restroom, you know, whatever, you know that kind of thing like you do at the bus stop. And Loy says he looked up over here, and up an embankment was a man standing there. And he was not well-dressed, if I remember correctly. A little, a little rough around the edges. How about that? And so it seemed like God said to him, you need to go up and talk to this guy. And so he gets up there and talks to this guy and the guy starts sharing and he had recently lost his wife. As you know, Loy recently lost his wife and he was able to console and talk to this man. Now, does anyone here believe that was an accident? It wasn't. It was a divine appointment. And I want you to know, one of the things we can do in this busy Christmas season is that we can tune our hearts to the Holy Spirit and watch out for those divine appointments, those divine opportunities to share the gospel of Christ, to show an act of kindness, to do something that God would lead us to do. Well, in this particular case, Simeon was led by God at that time and on that day. Now get that, at that time and on that day to go to the temple and in walks the parents brought in the child jesus i love the word parents there because we only see it a couple places in fact probably the only time we see jesus referred to as the father of jesus is in uh, joseph referred to the father of jesus is in verse 33 so we see the parents bringing this child in to do for him according to the custom of the law So this is a divine appointment set up, and they're there because, listen, they're there because they were obedient, just like, Loy, you were there because you were obedient, even though you didn't know why he was there. So they're there obeying the law, but something's going to happen that's even more important than that. God is going to keep a promise. Come on now. God is going to keep a promise, and Mary and Joseph are going to be encouraged, this would only have happened if Simeon was there on that day at that time. Don't ever underevaluate divine appointments with God. Verse twenty-eight. He, Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms, and he blessed God and said these words: "Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word." That says two things: God, you were faithful. And you kept your promise. God is a promise keeping God. Write that down. God is a promise keeping God. If God makes a promise to you, he will keep his word. That's something you could take to the bank. And secondly, it's basically Simeon saying, I'm ready to die now. You said I would live until I saw the constellation of Israel. I've seen the constellation of Israel. I am released. And I'm ready to die. For my eyes have seen, and this are such good words by Luke, my eyes have seen your salvation. Two simple words, your salvation. This was God's plan for salvation. It wasn't man's, it wasn't Israel's, it wasn't Simeon's, it was his plan. And I was amazed today as I was studying and thinking about this, keep in mind always how little we have to do with our salvation. All we do is say yes. We believe, well, I guess you could say we believe, we repent, and say yes. But everything else is God. It's all God and what God does. Today, I have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And here's, here's that big one, verse 32. I light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Here it is. Early on, Jesus is like 40 days old. And here, once again, we see in the New Testament, hey, it's not the Jew only. It's Gentiles too. Jesus came, this salvation came as a light to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. You know, Isaiah 9-2 says that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And Jesus came into this horribly dark world and brought eternal light into it. And he brought it to the Jew. But he also brought it to the Gentile. Well, in the commentary said, and I said, "Ouch, that hurts." But well, the commentary said, Jews wrestled with a couple of things. They wrestled with the idea of the suffering Messiah. They they had it in their brain. They knew the the messianic prophecies, okay? but they just wrestled with their idea. Their thought was, we're going to have a Messiah and that Messiah is going to come and he's going to overthrow the Romans and we're going to be powerful and we're going to be great. They did not grasp, but they didn't want to grasp the idea of Isaiah 53, that, that he was going to die. And they really didn't like the thought of the Gentiles. They knew it. If they went to, if they went to synagogue... And they went to the temple and heard the teaching and the word of God was read, they knew it. But they largely ignored the concept that Gentiles were going to be included in God's plan of salvation. Let's not be guilty of the same thing. It's often easy to pick what we like and disregard what we don't when it comes to the word of God. So we need to be careful with that. So he says, he's come as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Verse 33, and his father and his mother. This is that one kind of like one time that Joseph is called um, the father of Jesus. Now, Luke assumed that we knew better, okay, that it was just in the fact that he was, if you will, a stepfather. Okay, he was the earthly father. Now, I love the fact in Luke 3:23 in the translation I read it says in the genealogy that's listed there in Luke chapter 3 it's talking about uh, Joseph thought uh, sorry Jesus thought to be the son of Joseph thought to be the son Luke just helps us make sure we understand Joseph wasn't the real daddy it was God the Father but he was the earthly father so, his father and his mother, Jesus, marveled at what was said about him. And you gotta understand something. You know, Mary had the revelation from the angel that said, You're gonna give birth to a son. He's gonna be the son of God. He's gonna be called Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. But they didn't know a whole lot about what that meant. Joseph had virtually the same dream, and he didn't know what it meant. And so, when Simeon says this about,